This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's show is being recorded live in Sydney with an intimate crowd who have exercised appropriate social distancing and hygiene. Today's big question, why defend big insurance companies? Today we're asking this question to George Malos. George is a partner of a law firm with over 40 years of experience in a wide range of matters. For almost 30 years, he's acted predominantly for large multinational insurers in general insurance. And he joins me now. Please welcome George Malos. Thank you, Rob. George, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you, Rob. Now, George, you've practised law for over 40 years. So does this mean that you've been the butt of many lawyer jokes over that time? Oh, always. Always, yeah. 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 Do you have a favourite? Most, mostly uh, deserved. Mostly deserved, right, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favourite lawyer joke, though? I, I always love the, the, the joke about the lawyer who uh, was 32 years old and he died. Yeah. And he showed up at the pearly gates. And uh, he was scratching his head as to why he was there. And he asked St Peter, he said, look, I'm, I'm 32 years old. Why have you taken me now? I had my whole life, my whole career in front of me. Yeah. Why at 32? And St Peter scratched his head and he said, well, he said, I've been through your timesheets and to fit that much in, you must be at least 98. <laughs> <laughs> so why do people like poking fun at lawyers then? Uh, it's a good question, isn't it? I mean, we, we're involved in a service industry. Yeah. It's a service that's quite often provided in a somewhat confrontational environment. Yeah. And when it's in a confrontational environment, it becomes personal. Right, yeah. And I think often people want to blame the lawyers for orchestrating it rather than looking at what their own role might have been right, okay, in yeah. creating the conflict in the first place. Right, okay. Yeah. So it's a sort of an escape mechanism. <laughs> sure, okay, yeah. yeah. Now, we'll talk a bit more about the role of the law, particularly in big business, etc., in just a moment. Now, but just to clarify, you're not going to be giving any legal advice today, are you? You get what you pay for, Rob. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, to kick off bigger questions, would you like to I'm ask... I'm not being paid, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that was assumed. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Well, to kick off bigger questions, we do like to ask a couple of smaller questions. Uh, we do try to have a bit of fun on the show. And today we're asking George Malos about defending big insurance companies. So, George, I thought I'd test you on how much you know about insurance. All right. Okay, there's two questions. Yep. Both multiple choice. Okay, okay question one. According to APRA, the regulator of Australian financial services, yes. in 2019, how much profit did the Australian general insurance industry make on total gross earned premium of $50 billion? Was it A, none, they made a $1.3 billion loss, they aren't very good at doing insurance? Was it B, $1 million, it's not a particularly profitable industry? Was it C, $3.1 billion, there's a lot of money in this? Or was it D, $50 million, they don't actually pay any claims and there's heaps of money to be made? I think it's C. I think you're right. So there well done, go. George. You're, yeah. on, you're on your way. You're on yeah. your way. Yeah. I'm not going to get There's sued. a reason why I know it's C, but we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, sure. That's right. <laughs> okay, question two. You're doing well. In the 1997 movie The Rainmaker, based oh, yeah. on a book by John Grisham, the insurance company Great Benefit had a particular policy regarding the claims it received. What was it? Was it A, pay all claims, B, deny all claims, C, assess all claims on merit and pray appropriately, or was it D, put all claimants on hold for two hours after asking 15 questions to direct the caller to the most appropriate claims person? So which of those was it in this book, The Rainmaker, which was it? 
Well, we have to remember this is a work of fiction. Sure, okay. Uh, we'll so get to that in a second. It's, it's, yeah. it's not a uh, documentary or okay. anything like <laughs> okay, that. Okay, right. It wasn't an expose. But I, I, I think it might have been B. I think it was as well. It was there B, deny go. all claims. Well, that's George, right. you didn't, don't need anyone to defend you. But that's you the fictional part. Yeah, you passed. Well, yeah, anyway, you got two of our two smaller questions right. Big round of applause for George. <laughs> so you mentioned, George, that the Rainmaker, which is the premise of the story, is a wealthy insurance company denying legitimate claims from low-income mm. people. But you're saying that's a work of fiction, that that doesn't really happen in the real world? No, I don't think so. No? No, see, um, the, the question sort of assumes that the insurance company is only motivated by self-interest. Yeah. And you've got to remember that the, most of the insurance companies, especially the large insurance companies, are public companies mm -hmm. which have to deliver results for shareholders. Yeah. So I don't think that there's... I don't think that it's right to sort of start on the back foot or to, to put me on the back foot and say, well, you're acting for a big, bad insurance company. Yeah. Why is it a big, bad insurance company? AMP is a great example. AMP, one of the founders of AMP was a man called Thomas Sutcliffe Mort. Mm -hmm. Thomas Sutcliffe Mort, when he died, was described as one of the greatest benefactors that the working class in Australia had ever received. Mm. And he was a man who dedicated time and money. He was, he was an active layman in the Anglican Church. Yeah. He was responsible for St Andrew's Cathedral, St Mark's Darling Point, yep. uh, St Paul's College at Sydney University. I mean, this was a man... Who, who gave to the to the community. Yeah. But isn't there a problem here? Because wasn't AMP one of the chief culprits or one of the, the major firms discovered as in the Royal Commission into Financial Services that there was some serious problems going on in that firm there? So, I mean, isn't there something... Isn't there a problem there? Oh, yeah, that, 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 but that doesn't make it wrong to act for an insurance company. No. I mean, any corporation is vulnerable to corruption, yeah. is vulnerable to questionable practices... That doesn't mean that a lawyer looks at it and says, oh, I'm not going to act for them. Yeah. yeah. But there is a perception, and I think that perhaps the Royal Commission confirmed this, that the big companies, insurance companies or financial services firms, they're, they're, they do make big profits. There's, large, there's lots of money in the industry, but that they are in many ways out to exploit the poor and underprivileged. I mean, that's the, that you, you would dispute that, you'd think? That, that, that's not my experience. Right. I mean, insurance is a vital part of, of our society. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the, the bushfires, I think the insurance company stumped up something like $1.6 billion yeah. in, in claims. Um, where would we have been without that? So I think that it's, it, it, it's very important to the way in which our society is structured mm. that we do have large, profitable insurance companies. Yeah. Because because they are our safety net. Yeah. I mean... If, if things go wrong. That's, yeah. that's right. So, but why the perception, though, do you think? Why the perception that these companies are, are there to exploit the, the underprivileged and the poor? I think it's a lack of an understanding of what, what the claims process is. Mm -hmm. I mean, insurance is essentially a, a contractual relationship. And like any other contract, it has terms and conditions. And you make a claim... And it's not unreasonable that an insurer might send out a uh, loss assessor, yep. that an insurance company might say to you, well, you know, you say that you've lost X dollars. Where's the proof of that? Mm. So, no, I, I, I don't think that it's unreasonable. What's, it, what's at stake then? I think people's credit. I mean, and certainly most of the cases that end up with lawyers... Yeah. Um, are cases which involve some issue of credit. So, for example, I've had cases where people have said that they, because they had an accident, they were unable to work. 
and uh, we send an investigator out and we find film of them working. Now, these people have told bald-faced lies, mm. but does that make the, the insurance company culpable or does that make the insurance company uh, the wrong party because they've uncovered this fraud, yeah. this lie? Uh, and I think a lot of people... A lot of people expect, well, you know, if I say I've lost this, then they should just pay it. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't be honouring their obligations to their shareholders mm. uh, if they did that. Yeah. So, so is fraud a big problem then? Oh, I think it's a huge... Yeah, it's a huge problem. It's yeah. a huge problem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are actually police task force set up to deal with insurance fraud. Yeah, and I suppose it, you've, you've, you've encountered that, I suppose, in your oh, job, yeah. isn't it? Isn't yeah. It? It, it, well, in the, in the motor accident field... Uh, They've uncovered all sorts of things. In fact, there was a lawyer in jail recently as a result of it. Right. Um, yeah. Because he he had he was alleged to have had an active part in it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But isn't there a problem though for access to justice? So for people who don't have access to, to expensive lawyers, or maybe not even less expensive lawyers, big insurance companies can afford it. What about the poor person? So don't they have a access to justice problem there? No, not really. Um, I mean. You, if, if you turn on the TV or the radio, you'll find that there are no win, no fee lawyers. Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys aren't stupid, though, because they usually only take on cases that they can win. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> There's a self-interest there, I suppose. There is. There, well, everyone's got a self-interest. Yeah. But, but the, the, the crux of it is that we, we, are, we live in a country which is full of all of God's good gifts. Yeah. And people do have access to the legal profession. I mean, look, there are some cases where, where they might be caught out, but the, in the majority of cases, people do have access to very good legal services yeah. at, a, at a, essentially a no-cost basis. And, and I know a lot of these guys who, who um, take on the no-cost, no-win, no-fee, they often underwrite the case themselves, right? You know, to the tune of you know, many thousands of dollars. Yeah. So you know, they're they're prepared to spec it. Mm. Um, people people are the beneficiaries of that. You just mentioned there about self interest. Self interest is a is a key driver in this whole thing. So, sure. so to what extent does self interest uh, exacerbate this problem? Uh, from the insurer or from the claimant? From both positions. Well, I I think that again, it, it all comes back down to 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 issues of honesty, doesn't it? Mm. And I think that some insurance companies in the past have, have taken hard lines where perhaps a softer approach might have been better. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know that these days, um, with the various regulatory authorities that we have, that there is a, a greater obligation on the part of insurance companies to act in a, in a proper and ethical way in the interests of those who are making claims. Mm, mm. But why is then justice such an important thing? Well, the answer to that question, large or partly, lies in what do lawyers contribute to society? Yeah. And the lawyers have a role to play in the stability of society, in the fairness, the justice. I mean, without a justice system, anarchy will run loose mm. and uh, it'll be total chaos. So do you think this is, this is part of the role of a lawyer then is to help uh, the good functioning of society? I think that, that, I think that that is the effect of what lawyers do, yes. Yes. Maybe is that mm. lost perhaps when we make too many jokes about lawyers? 
oh, I think everybody should be able to laugh at themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so where does this, this purpose of justice in many ways is for the good functioning of society? Is this something I think deep, it's is, a byproduct of it. So what's the, what's, the, what's the deeper thing going on? Well, the, the, the deeper thing going on, I suppose, is fairness. It, it, it is fairness. And, uh, you know, because we live in a, in a fallen world, we don't always... Uh, treat each other properly. Yeah. Um, we don't always consider the other person's point of view. Yeah. And um, I think that the the processes that have developed under the Westminster system and that we have in Australia over hundreds of years now, they help us to have that smooth running of society. That the mm. people, you know, the people can expect fairness. Yeah. You know, they're not going to be taken out and shot because they cut someone off in the in the traffic. Right? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, a bit extreme. It would be, it would be extreme, <laughs> an extreme place to live but there. But it's happened. But is there a deeper, something about the human experience that's deeper than just the good functioning of society that we want, obviously we want fairness, but we do think there's a deep sense that we want justice in, inside us as well? Oh, I think definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. One of the reasons we need, need lawyers is that your concept of justice and my concept of justice are unlikely to be the same thing. Mm. And uh, we are... This is why you need a rule of law, so to speak. This is why we need a rule of law. This is why we need independent arbiters or judges. Mm. Uh, and this is why I mean, we are very fortunate that we're entitled to have professional people represent us and present us in a way which we could probably not do mm. if it were left to us alone. Mm. Mm. And you mentioned before about God's good gifts uh, in the yeah. sense of your worldview. So you, uh, you come from a, a Christian perspective. Yep. So how does your Christian faith then influence your view of, on this topic? Well, I, I think one of the things that, that was helpful to me was uh, the lesson that we can serve God wherever we are mm -hmm. and whatever we are doing. Yeah. And... Because I used to think, well, you know, maybe I should just go off and be a missionary or something like that. Sure, you know? yeah. What, what, what am I doing? But that's not where God put me. I mean, one of our one of the gifts that God gives us is our circumstances. Mm -hmm. and, and you happen to be a lawyer that acts for insurance companies. I happen to be a lawyer who acts <laughs> for insurance companies. So the challenge is how do I do that in a way that honours God? And I must, I mean, I must admit that I do things a little bit differently to the way I did them before. Well, actually, before, before we get to the, what's different, maybe tell us your story about... Because you came to faith, you sort of came to faith or believe at a later point in life, didn't you? Yeah, I was so, 43 so when I came. You're 43 to the Lord. when you came to God. So, yeah. what was that story? What happened there? I mean, I'd, I'd been, dare I say, in inverted commas, relatively successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was is that, is that you didn't end up going to jail? Is that is that, that that's, is that, how, is that, that's is that, how I was successful? That's a, that's a measure, and I, of, and I kept my practicing certificate. Okay, right, okay. Regardless, so you're, you're not in jail, and you're, no, yeah, so you're relatively no. successful. So, but I mean, things were going well for me. I was a, a partner in a um, firm out in the western suburbs, and we had two very successful offices, and things were going really, really well for me. But there was still an emptiness mm. you know I because you didn't grow up in a religious environment did you or oh, I'd always been a churchgoer right but I think that that was because well I didn't understand the gospel and I thought that going to church was something that you know had to please it's, God right I mean when, when I was a child in Sunday school I can remember the uh the superintendent of the Sunday school saying that uh, God gives us so much but only asks for an hour a week in return and now I don't know whether he was trying to get attendance is up or what his motivation <laughs> right. was but I mean consciously or subconsciously I think that's how I lived my life right um, so something that you just do for an hour on a Sunday clock yeah. on clock off and then I can just do what I like yeah it was a pretty good deal actually <laughs> right, I, thought right, I, yeah. I thought I was doing all right out of okay. that anyway uh, some of you might remember or uh, uh, you may remember Rob the son of the late American president 
John F. Kennedy. Yeah, John F. Kennedy so Jr. So John F. Yeah. Kennedy Jr. And he died in a plane crash. And it really confronted me mm. because he was this guy. He was a handsome young man. He had married a, a woman who was um, an ex-model. So she, she was drop-dead gorgeous. He had more money than he could ever spend in his lifetime. He enjoyed the adulation of the so-called greatest nation on earth. Mm -hmm. And um, look, he could have been president if he wanted to. And then one night at the age of 39, in a plane crash. He's gone. And he's gone. And I'm, I'm looking at this story and I'm thinking, well, here's this guy. I mean, I could paddle my little canoe as hard as I can. And I'm not going to have a fraction of what this bloke had. And what if I lost it like that? I mean, what was the point? Mm. So that that that, that was me. connected to the feeling of emptiness that you had at that time. Yeah, yeah. So and one thing led to another, and I ended up in a church that I wasn't familiar with. Why did you try church though? Well, what had happened? I I I, I had during all of this time I'd still been going to church. I'd been putting in my hour a week. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. And my children had stopped going to the church that I was going to because there was nothing there after year six. And I had some friends that went to this other church and they told me they had a good children's program. And my plan, if you like, was to take my children to this other church, get them better than there, and I'd keep doing my hour a week at the other church. Right. But fortunately for me, God had other ideas. Yeah. And look, I know, I know that I had heard the gospel before, but I'd never really heard never the gospel. never understood what it meant. No, I never understood it until I heard it at this church. And um, it hit me between the eyes. And I, I mean, I'm sitting there listening to this sermon and this guy's answering questions I didn't even know I had. Right, wow. Um, what what were some of the things things. that you were exploring? Or was well, that becoming clear to you? Well, I mean, I, I knew that Jesus was God's son. So what? And I knew that he died on a cross. Well, that was a long time ago. Mm. So I, I didn't really understand how that could impact on me 2,000 years later. Mm. But I was confronted with my own sinfulness. I was confronted with the fact that I would have to give an account to God. Mm. So I... It's like he's a judge in some sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like for, a for judge. A, for a, for like a, a judge and I couldn't afford a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I was confronted... With my own sinfulness and and confronted with the fact that I would have to give an answer but then I was so greatly relieved as I came to understand that God actually had a rescue plan for me mm. in the Lord Jesus Christ and that was good news for you it was great news for me yeah, yeah. yeah. so I never went back to the other church okay, by the right. way. <laughs> and, you. and um, but so then how did that then change your uh, view of your work as you've just as you were talking before um, well I was previously a fairly aggressive type of lawyer and um, putting someone in their place usually meant putting them down. Mm. Um, I didn't mind cutting corners uh, in the interests of my client. Um, I, well, I suppose I was a bit loose with the truth. Um, I just, you know, I wasn't a nice person to be around mm. and I thought that if I was aggressive and abrupt, and uh, that I would... You'd get ahead. I'd get ahead. And your business was reasonably successful. It was reasonably successful, yeah. So what changed then? Well, I just think an, an understanding of the fact that ultimately I was going to have to give an account to God for the way that I behaved. 
And, and you didn't like that prospect. Well, I didn't like that prospect, and and I, rem- I remember reading reading a book at the time, uh, where the author had said that the, the biggest hurdle to people coming to Christ was the thought that they would have to change. Mm. And and I sort of confronted that issue, and and, and at first you think, well, you're going to lose things. And I, I'm a bit old-fashioned. I sort of did a little piece of paper, and you put the line down the middle, and what's good and what's bad, and. You know, when we're talking about our eternal destiny, we're, when we're talking about the hope that we have in Christ, um, that's so much, mm. so much more reassuring. So, how did you change the way you did business? Well, I, I, um, I was, I became more honest. I became more user-friendly, mm-hmm. if, if you like. Um, and I, I mean, I still upheld the interests of my client. I mean, I think part of being a Christian lawyer is to recognise the fact that you do have an obligation to your client, but that you can fulfil that obligation in a way which still honours the other side, which still honours your opponents. So I stopped fighting with people, I suppose, is the short answer. (laughs) (laughs) We're asking George Malice today's big question, why defend big insurance companies? And the idea of justice and facing a judge does come up in the Bible, in Psalm 9 in the Old Testament. There's a passage there in verse 8 which says about God being a God of justice, which says, He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people's with equity. Now, that was obviously something that was very real to you, wasn't it? You were a bit oh, worried yeah. that yeah. God was going to judge you. Definitely. Um, so is God being a judge then a good or a bad thing? I think it's a great thing. Great thing? Why it's is that? Thing. People, some well, people but, are very scared before going before well, a judge at times. I mean, we touched on it before. Without a legal system in place, anarchy would rule. But if the ultimate judge is God and we can be assured of his, of his fairness, of his equity, of his righteousness then justice will prevail and it'll prevail in a way that it doesn't prevail in this world. But how can we be assured of that though? Because he's always kept his promises. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if we look at, look at the history through the Bible, the history of the people through the Bible, God has always delivered. He's perhaps a bit more trustworthy than a lawyer then? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Maybe. In the Bible, there's also the theme that uh, the God of the Bible is also an advocate for the weak, the vulnerable and the powerless. So it also says there in Psalm 9.9 that the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And then in verse 18, he says that God will never forget the needy. So you would agree then that the Bible advocates for defending the needy and the oppressed? It seems to be a theme throughout oh, the Bible. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and while we're on the Bible in Proverbs, it says like a muddied spring or polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Mm. So as a lawyer, you see injustice, you see unfairness, you see fraud, yeah. which, is, which, is, as which, occurs, which occurs in the insurance field. Mm. And uh, you know, if you're going to be righteous, you can't sit back and let that and, happen. And let that happen no. yeah. One of the themes of our conversation today is about the, you do defend... Uh, act for, in many ways, the powerful, the wealthy and the strong. Yes. So is there a disconnect here? The Bible seems to be advocating, sharing, you know, defending the weak, the powerless, etc., but you're defending the strong. You don't see a, a disconnect? Well, I, I, don't know how, I don't know where they fall into the weak and the powerless in, in the system that we have in Australia. Right. Because, firstly, if you've got insurance... Well, then you're, you're fortunate to have that relationship with the insurance company. Mm. And if you've got the access to a legal system which will effectively carry your case for you, 
I mean, you're not weak and powerless. Right. Not in this country. Not in, not, not, it, not in this country. No. Not in the environment in which I practice. Right. And, yeah. and mo most of the people that are involved in cases where I'm acting for the insurance company, they get a result. They get a what, what I think is a fair result. Mm. Another question from our text line from our live audience. Um, how do you handle being given or asked to take up a case that goes against your conscience? Don't take it. Is that, is that simple? They, even if, even if business is a bit slow? Even if business is a bit slow. Yeah, look, look, I, I, has it been an example? Look, I, I, is, well, is it... I, no, no I, I, I can answer it quickly because it's never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> but look, look I, I, I would you like... Prepared, you're prepared to walk away from a, a potentially lucrative client in order to feel your conscience? Um, I have done that. I have done that. Can you unpack a bit what happened? Um, no, it, there, there are cases where I've just said, look, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Now, this passage in the, the Bible here in Psalm 9 also talks about the Lord being a refuge and a stronghold in times of trouble. It says, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Now, do we do appear to be living in times of trouble Very at, much the, so. at the moment? Yeah. So how is the Lord a stronghold and a refuge for you? Well, I think it's that sure hope that we have for the future. I mean, coronavirus is bad. 9-11 was bad. Uh, SARS was bad. Uh, global financial crisis was bad. But all of these things come and go. Mm. But the Lord remains constant. Yeah. He is in control. So what, what, what does that do for you then? How, do, how does that help you? Well, it just gives me great confidence for the future. Mm. And it helps me, um, rather than panic and go out and buy a lot of toilet paper, <laughs> okay. to just sit back and say, well, God is in control. Right. And yeah. uh, we trust him to work through this. And we pray that when these things do happen, um, that, that people will turn to God yeah. in, in, in dependence upon him. Mm. So what about the impact then on coronavirus on your professionally? Will it mean extra insurance work? For you, do you think? It's hard to see how. I mean, there's, <laughs> not, there's not too many policies that are written with coronavirus uh, exclusions. Exclusions, and uh, no, I, I don't. I think I think that the impact is more in terms of how justice is administered. I mean, I understand that the family court has has closed down in the uh, tribunal where I was this morning. Uh, they're asking the solicitor to sit outside while the barrister runs the case inside right. because uh, there are only small rooms and they couldn't guarantee the 1.5 metres yep. and things like so, that. So there have so, been changes in the way that justice is done. So yeah, is it but I don't impact? think there's a change in justice. So will it, will it impact justice though? Do you think will it mean people are, it's harder to get justice as a result I don't of think so. changes, etc.? It's hard to see how it would. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So George. Yes, Rob. Why defend big insurance companies? Why not? <laughs> no, look. We, I, I, I think, I think I that, it's a living. Well, well, it is a living, but there's, there's a, they have a role to play in, in society. And if I can, if I can act for them in a way that brings glory to God, yeah, uh, in what I do, then uh, I think that that's admirable. And it brings a, a sense of justice and um, good running of society, perhaps. Good running of society, and, and and at the end of the day, is fairness. I mean, people, people can dispute the decisions that, that insurance companies make, but they're not just bound by that. I mean, there are avenues that they can follow. There is, you know, there, and there's all sorts of alternate dispute resolution. There are courts, uh, there are internal reviews. Yeah. There are all kinds of things available to people. So it's not just lay down and play dead because they said no. Yeah. I mean, our system's uh, far it more intricate than and that. And more sophisticated than that. Far more. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, why defend big insurance companies from Psalm 9, 8 and 9. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold 
in times of trouble. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, George Malos. Thank you, Rob. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions.